This episode of the Thontrepreneur Podcast is brought to you by Canna Planners. Canna Planners is on a mission to normalize the emerging cannabis industry through beautiful design and professional web and marketing solutions. Whether you're looking to create a new cannabis brand, improve your packaging design, or get your company online, Canna Planners has the perfect solution. Your website is the window into your cannabis company. Make sure that you look awesome, that your messaging is on point, and that traffic converts to customers through SEO. From CBD companies to dispensaries and everything in between, Canna Planners has you covered. Visit them online today at cannaplanners.com for a free web demo. That's cannaplanners.com. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, my guest is Jen Jackson. She's the founder and CEO of Bejuby, a Baltimore, Maryland-based CBD company emphasizing restoration, general wellness, and social justice. How are you doing this afternoon, Jen? I'm well, T.G. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, you're the, uh, the only the second guest that I've had on from from Maryland, and um, you know it's a very sort of interesting state uh, in in many regards with the cannabis industry and, and sort of um, you know last couple of years there's there's been a, a, a lot going on in that state. But before we get into any of that, tell me about yourself. Uh, what's your background and how did you end up in the cannabis space? Sure. So. You know, cannabis, my relationship with cannabis started early on as a child. Um, so I'm an 80s baby. I'm an, an old head. And uh, I, grew up, <laughs> I grew up in the D.A.R.E. era. So if anyone's familiar with that, um, literally policemen would come to my elementary and middle school and basically scare us and tell us not to use drug and talk about drug abuse. And I think for me, that actually stuck with me. I mean, I definitely growing up felt like if I'm anywhere near Coke, I'll die immediately. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it was, I don't think it, the program really worked, but in some ways it was effective for me. Um, but luckily I grew up with parents that consumed cannabis. And so, although I never saw them, you know, it, they were very open about it and they thought that, you know, it was a, it was a, a safe plant. And my father would always say, like, listen, Jen, if it was legal to be sitting right here at the dinner table before this beer. Huh. So I grew up without the stigma or being like scared of the plant. And so the first time that I consumed, I was about 15 or 16, um, didn't know what I was doing, didn't get high. And then I went to, to college. And so at 18 is when I really started to consume on a more regular basis. I would consider myself more of a social smoker. Um, but it's, I mean, it's been a part of me, like, basically throughout my whole life. So here so we are. I, ju I, I just want to talk briefly about, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm also an 80s baby, grew up with D.A.R.E. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was always sort of, sort of, uh, how do we call it, counterculture to begin with. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, what they were telling me, I was like, you're full of shit, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, so, but a lot of people our age, I mean, I grew up very open. You know, my mother was very open about her cannabis use. I smoked with her for the first time when I was 14, 15 oh, years wow. old. Okay. And so, you know, what about like the people around you growing up at that time? Were they too living in these sort of cannabis friendly households or was it, yeah. it or was no. it very unique to you? That was unique for me. So, um, yeah, like my girlfriends or my, you know, male friends, whoever that wasn't, 
that wasn't something that we necessarily shared. I feel like my parents were just two hippies and <laughs> <laughs> I just, that's, those were the cards that I got dealt. Luckily, I mean, I'm grateful for that. And like you said, kind of like just counter culture and, you know, that wasn't necessarily the norm. I mean, a lot of my friends, they were raised in the church and in the church, cannabis is not, that's not something you do or talk about or really even engage in or, you know, it's a drug, like it's a, it's a bad thing. Um, and that's common, you know, in, in, in black culture. So, you know, this, this whole space is very interesting because of the dynamics and the history and the war on drugs and what it's done to our community and all of that. But then also how that's affected us and how we, you know, feel comfortable with consumption and what that means, like with the church and all that. So it's a, it's very complicated. So what did you do prior to uh, launching your company? So I um, had a very corporate job. I worked, um, I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And so I ended up moving to Baltimore because you couldn't, I mean, the school programs here were pretty bad. Um, So they were paying people to get their education. And in return, you would have to teach for three years. So um, I ended up landing a job at this higher ed corporation and just kind of moving my way up. So I ended up not graduating from college, um, but I moved my way up, got to a six-figure position in IT, and um, I managed a software development team for a lot of years. Um, and so when I decided to leave corporate, um, it was it may seem random, but like if you knew me, you knew that all of it made sense. <laughs> like when you see the headline, corporate to cannabis, it doesn't really make sense. But when you know me personally, and even like coworkers that knew me, you always have, you know, that counterculture at work too, where it's like, well, going to go smoke together. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there had to have been a lot of education. I mean, going back to sort of deprogramming from D.A.R.E. and the education perhaps from your parents, it seems to me that there, there, you had to sort of self-educate yourself, uh, self-educate yourself. Uh, <laughs> oh, what, <that's> <laughs> what role did that play in not just starting, you know, the business, but dealing with customers who may not be as knowledgeable as yourself? So I've always valued that. Like, I think that that's an opportunity um, to to educate. And and that helps with, I think, normalizing um, cannabis. So for me, um, I'm typically a risk-averse person. I like, this is the first business I've ever, you know, um, tried to create or run. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. You know, I've always admired entrepreneurs and their hustle and their grind, but I'm like, I'm okay with my stable, you know, job and my 401k. I don't need to do, I don't like that scares me. (laughs) But um, for me, my experience is that I kind of was coming to a place in my career where I was starting to, I've always been just very humble and just happy to be where I am. I don't have my degree. I can't believe I'm a senior manager in IT. I can't believe I'm making six figures. And it's just like humble, humble, humble. But I finally got to a point where I'm like, I'm realizing my worth and my title and my compensation aren't really aligning. So I kind of got to a point where it's, you know, this is a part in my um, career where I need to either step away and move on and find a role at another corporation, or now that I've kind of become wise to CBD, my mother put me on a CBD, by the way. Um, I'm like, this is an opportunity, you know, like I started to just research, research and fell in love. All these years I've been smoking, I had no idea what the science was. I didn't know really, 
at a high level, but I really didn't know like the history behind the plant. I mean, so just doing all of that just fueled so much passion. And I'm like, this is what the hell I want to do. So I'm not, I didn't answer your question. The self-education part, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, the self-education part, um, is huge. There are so many roadblocks that you have to deal with in the CBD industry. Um, I dealt with, you know, payment processor issues. I had to learn which technology platform is going to actually accept that I'm selling CBD and not shut me down. So there are different um, things that you have to learn in the C- as a CBD brand on top of someone like me um, not having ever run a business. Like, how do you run a business? What are profit margins? Marketing, you know, pricing models and all that stuff. So all of that was self-taught. I had, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to manage all that and what all that means. So, you know, what were some of these initial challenges? I mean, you, you leave a six-figure career to establish a cannabis business. Mm-hmm. I mean, t- talk to me about that sort of transition and those challenges aside from maybe sure. the learning curve. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a big deal to like leave a six-figure job and just be like, I'm going to start from scratch. At 38 years old, I'm 39 now, I'll be 40 in February. You know, I'm a middle-aged Black woman, like, I'm just going to start over. And the first thing that I had to consider personally was, you know, my husband and my two children. What did that mean? I could have certainly continued and we'd be living a very decent life with both of our incomes and been okay with that. But I think that for me, I just became so passionate because cannabis had just been a part of my life. It just, I I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I just didn't know when it made sense to pull, to, to move and transition away from corporate. And so the thought process about that just was about my family and having conversations with myself and having conversations with my husband. And I decided that I, I'm lucky to have maybe another 40 to 50 years here on earth. I'm starting the second half of my life and I just want to not live in fear and not live in regret. And if I try this and it fails, I just get another nine to five. If it doesn't, (laughs) then I have an example for my children of just trying to start something. And, you know, I wasn't raised as an entrepreneur you go to school, you get a nice job and you live your life. And, um, you know, I just feel like, why not try it and see what happens and be an, an example for my boys. So. Forgive me if this is a bit personal and you don't have to answer this question, but one of the things that's always interested me because of my relationship with my mother, you know, who's very open about cannabis. Um, do you foster that same sort of relationship with, with your children? I do. So that's an interesting conversation. I, um, I, uh, how do I answer this? So I'm open about it. They are clear that mommy's in the cannabis industry because they're eight and five. They don't necessarily know the hangups and what that means. You know, they don't know, they don't view it as a drug because I don't, that's not how I talk about it. So I'm open about what I do. Um, and I don't actually smoke in front of them. Um, but as I get older, I definitely plan to explain to them what it is and how it works and just educate them. But I think when you're raising, you know, two black boys, you have to be very mindful about cannabis and their consumption and the, what you should and should not be doing, where you should and should not be consuming and how, what, you know, like if you get caught by the police, like all of that. So it gets a little complicated. 
Um, and so I'm mindful of that. So I'm not like all out, hey, you know, <laughs> passing the, you know, just me and my husband are passing the J, like that's not how we get down. But <laughs> but we do, we definitely do um wanna be open and, and honest about, you know, what mommy's job is. Thank you for answering that question again. You know, um, I want to go back to the business. What, what's what been the most rewarding part about starting your own business specifically in this industry? So the most rewarding part for sure has been connecting with people, understand like people really have a lot of shit. I'm, excuse me, I probably shouldn't have swore, but they have it's, a lot. It's fucking fine. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they have a lot on their plate and they're dealing with a lot. And you know, they oftentimes feel comfortable being open with me. And I, not that I'm a psychologist or psychiatrist or either, but I, I, I like that people feel comfortable kind of digging into those things with me and that I'm providing them with something that's actually improving their quality of life. So that is extremely rewarding. The other part that's been rewarding for me so far is that, you know, this has been probably the most empowered I've ever felt just taking the step and doing it. Um, doing this podcast is totally outside of my, like I'm, you know, I was terrified, <laughs> but just pushing through those personal, you know, fears and conquering them. Like I feel extremely empowered. And that's, that's part of that is, is a, that is a big part of why I decided to do this. I don't, I don't think that I would be challenged this way, quite honestly, in another corporate job. So one of the things that really drew me uh, to want to interview you was your mission, um, which, you know, I, I said at the top that, that you emphasize restoration, general wellness and social justice um, in a space that <clears throat> talks a lot about doing that. But uh, in my estimation, has fallen short in, in many regards. Um, yeah. so, so tell me about that mission and, and, and the sort of journey to, uh, you know, putting that into a neat little box, if you will, and, and how you work actively to meet those goals. Right. So, um, you know, the reason why I'm here is also, you know, to improve the wellness of my community. I think that, um, like we talked about earlier, there is a, definitely a big part of my community that is like anti-cannabis. And so trying to navigate that and helping educate them, you know, different people about what cannabis is and how it works with your body and getting them to kind of come to the other side is huge. So the three core tenets of Bejuvi is just improving the wellness of our community. And I do that through the sale of my products and also through giveaways, um, normalizing cannabis. So I do that through education, our blog posts, conversations that I just have with people. Um, I also have a campaign right now on um, Instagram normalize cannabis through me where I think it's really important for people to see functional human beings like you and me. <laughs> They're doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, professionals, creatives, parents. I mean, all of these people are consuming and they're highly functional and just trying to kind of do away with the narrative of the, of the stoner mentality. Um, that's important for people to see people like us and say, oh, okay, it's okay to come out or it's okay to consume and these aren't bad people and we're not like monsters and, you know, the whatever people think about people that smoke, like just trying to normalize it. It's really a big deal. So that's a core tenet. Um, and then social justice. You know, I feel like it's my moral duty to try and absolve all of the wrong. Um, Obviously, the war on drugs is pretty much the war on Black people in our communities and our families. Then we have this 
you know, this legal industry where predominantly white men are making billions of dollars on our backs. Then we have people who are in jail still to this day for the safe plan. Um, while the government just recently, um, you know, considered cannabis as um, essential, essential medicine. These people need to be released. I mean, it's crazy. So it's like all these things definitely are things that I want to try and um, help right the wrong. I hope that made sense. And what we're doing right now so far is we are um, donating monthly to two advocacy groups. Um, I realized coming into this, TG, that like I was all about that. Like I want to get people out of jail. I want to you know, make sure that then the money that's coming in is going back to the communities. I want to do, and I felt honestly very overwhelmed because at the same time, I'm raising these kids. I'm trying to figure out how to run a business and be successful there. But my heart is really kind of in this third tenant. And um, I found myself at a Canna Gather um, session in Baltimore. And I don't know if you know who Leo Bridgewater is. I am not familiar. Okay. No. Well, he, he was speaking and I had just a quick interaction with him and he and I told him, I said, I just don't know where to start. I'm not an activist. Like I don't, I don't go to Annapolis and <laughs> like deal with like legislative things. Like I don't even know where to start. And he just said to me, like, you make your business successful. Let, you know, leave that up to us and other advocacy groups. And then at some point we'll converge. And I took that to mean, Focus on your business, get that up and running, be successful there, and then you can send us, support us. Support people that are already doing the work. And so for me, that's where I'm starting. Um, so I'd like to become you know, more involved, but I, I just, at this point, that that's what I'm doing. So we're, we're I'm contributing monthly to two different advocacy groups. So, you know, I mean, I, I've never spent any time in Baltimore. I only know of the city, uh, what I read of the city. Um, and you know, something that sort of sticks in my memory is Freddie Gray, uh, mm -hmm. from, a, from a few years ago. Um, you know, and then, you know, so, so I, I, again, I don't want to speak sort of towards, you know, race relations in Baltimore. That's not my place. I don't, I don't know that much about it, but, um, you know, you, a black woman opens up a, you know, cannabis business in Baltimore. Did, did you face any sort of, um, you know, uh, blowback or you know was there anyone sort of you know knocking down your door you know just sort of trying to prevent this from happening did you face any sort of backlash in that regard honestly not really um you know there were some odd <laughs> conversations at work because it's like you're transitioning away you give your two weeks notice and people are like oh jen where are you going what are you doing and i'm like i'm starting a cannabis <laughs> business and there's like an awkward silence and then congratulations so outside of that weirdness not really I mean you know when I first started I was very purposeful about aligning myself with different businesses here in the city so not really worrying and focusing too much about like my online presence I was trying to establish a presence here in the city and doing like pop-ups and you know vending at different events um, and I was purposeful about the different people that I wanted to actually work with in establishments. And so they were always very cool and open armed and supported. I haven't gotten a lot of backlash, to be honest with you. I think, and especially with my, just my own family and friends, I mean, it's like they kind of roll with me and they're supporting me. So it's not, <laughs> it, it's one of those, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing it, but congratulations, this makes the most sense. And, you know, 
I know you're going to be great. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been very supportive, I have to say, so far. So, you know, it, when Maryland's medical cannabis industry launched, it came under immediate fire mm -hmm. uh, for not having a social equity portion uh, attached to it immediately. Um, you know, the push for that was led by Cheryl Glenn, a former delegate who was ultimately convicted uh, earlier this month for taking bribes associated with not just the cannabis industry, also alcohol yeah. industry and, and opioid industry. Um, so I want to sort of ask you two questions here is, is, um, does the conviction of Glenn, in your opinion, taint her advocacy for the social equity part of the program? And, and what's your take on, you know, on sort of social equity programs in general? I, you know, I've, I've interviewed, uh, you know, several people, you know, people of color who, you know, a lot of them are very, most of them overwhelmingly are supportive. And then, you, you know, I have a couple who, you know, say, you know, we want to sort of win these licenses on our own merits, right? Um, so, so if you can just sort of address both of those. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think when it comes to Cheryl Glenn, it's a very unfortunate situation. Um, I can't speak to what was in her heart and what she really believed or, or what she didn't believe and what she was fighting for. But I believe that what she was fighting for is a necessity. It, it's necessary. We need it. We need more people to continue to fight for it. And we need this. I believe um, that we need social equity programs. I think that, um, you know, in general, the social equity programs are an acknowledgement that things aren't fair. Um, and I think each state is just trying to figure it out. <laughs> Um, and there's still a lot of work left to do. Um, I think each state is sort of looking at the other states, trying to get, you know, capture lessons learned from that and maybe make theirs better in some way. But we know all states are kind of doing their own things. And we know that there are gaps and, and things that aren't quite working with all of them. Um, so my opinion is that with, with Cheryl Glenn, I think that's a really unfortunate situation because it may have tainted you know, the, the mission that she had, but the mission itself is very much still needed. Um, and I think with social equity programs in general, I, I think we need them. Um, other, if, if there's nothing put, if there's nothing gets put in place and the entire country is legalized tomorrow, we're just simply going to have a monopoly of quite honestly, white men that are going to take over and make billions of dollars and there's going to be no opportunity for people of color to get in. And that's just the reality. And so I think if we don't have measures put in place that allow us to get our step in our, 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 um, our, our, what am I saying? <laughs> that allow us to get our foot in the door. Uh, we're not going to get our foot in the door. I mean, that's just the reality. That's been our reality forever. So we have to have measures put in place for sure in order for us to have some sort of leg up in this industry. I mean, to your point, I think it was a month or two ago, a report came out about Maryland's cannabis industry that, that found that less than 1% uh, of cannabis businesses owned in Maryland are owned by black women. It, yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah. Is that apparent to you as as a as a black female business owner? I mean, I didn't I hadn't heard of that report, but I'm also not surprised by those numbers. Um, you know, I think I think there are a couple of things going on. I think that um, this industry in general is 
is starting to sort of um, persist throughout communities and realizing that, you know, there's money to be made here. Um, and, and maybe, and maybe, you know, for people's reasons for getting involved are very different. It could be because I want to make money. It could be because I want to make money. And I feel like, I mean, I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. Like I came into this, like, I belong here. <laughs> this is where I should be, <laughs> you know, and, and I want to encourage other black men and women to get involved as well. Um, and, and so, but I don't know. I'm not surprised at that number for a lot of reasons because we don't have the resources to get it started. So that makes sense. But then also it's just realizing that this is a legitimate industry um, where money, you know, can be made. And, and now that that's sort of solidified, I'm hopeful. And I feel like through my efforts, I'm actually partnering with two other great women that are in the industry um, to create an agency that is, you know, the goal is to create a one-stop shop to help people get all set up in this industry. We're starting with the CBD side, but, you know, hopefully that'll grow into other markets in the industry. But um, we need to be involved. We need to be here. We deserve to be here. And we need to have, um, we need to have, we need help. We don't have the money. We don't have the generational wealth. Or, yeah, the generational wealth. And that's just the reality. So and we'll be swallowed if, it, if we don't have measures put in place. What, what, what are some steps that, that brands and companies can take to ensure a more equitable industry where they might not have strong legal mandates in place? I hate to, I feel like I'm being a Debbie Downer, but I just, I don't know that I have the confidence in these companies to actually take, <laughs> to actually do the things that they no, should You're not be being doing. a Debbie Downer, you're being an honest human being right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of am of the mindset right now that I'm just not really expecting a lot from these companies and that I just am focusing on getting Bijubi where it needs to be and encouraging and um, guiding other um, you know, people in the industry or people that are interested in getting in the industry and doing whatever I can to help them get there. So it's like, let's build our own space in this industry. That's where I'm focused on. I, I can't focus on these existing companies that could care, really honestly could care less. Do you think that part of the reason that, I mean, we, you know, you said the generational wealth, I mean, and that's definitely, you know, mm -hmm. a, a large part of it. Do you, do you think maybe there is a part of it that there's a fear of, of, you know, I'm a black person opening up a, a cannabis business. Uh, the cops are coming for me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I just had this, I don't know who I had this conversation with the other day, but I have this like normalized cannabis through me campaign on social media and like I said, the idea is to just show the faces of people that are just like you and I, but also they consume, whether it's cannabis or CBD. Um, and then I thought about how that might, like, it's not reckless because part of it is like, ah, we're here for cannabis and it's okay, the plan is safe. But also we know that as, you know, as black men and women, we're still getting locked up, even in decrim states. We're getting locked up if we have um, cannabis on us that is uh, approved, you know, that is, um, um, uh, we have through a medical card. Yeah. Just like, like Sean Worsley and how he got caught up. It's like, we're, our lives are still being thrown away. So there is a part of me that has to acknowledge that as much as I wanna just go so hard for this industry and get all these black people involved in this industry, we definitely have to navigate it in a different way and we have to consider 
things that non-Black people have to consider. And that is being nervous about people coming for you or attacking you or locking you up. I mean, and, and expungement is also something that absolutely needs to occur, mm-hmm. you know, because because as, as I see it, you know, you if you're if you have a criminal record and you go to try to get a job, they're, they're going to see that criminal record. Yep. Um, you know, and and so um, what, what yep. advice would you have for you know, people that were in your position who had a steady job, uh, you know, making a, a lot of money who decide to take the plunge, you know, what's, what's sort of the one piece of advice you, that was shared with you that was helpful to you or, or what piece of advice uh, do you tell others who you want to inspire? So I just, you know, my my position on this, again, is, you know, I'm a middle-aged woman and, um, you know, I've, I've lived a lot of my life sort of not having the best confidence or kind of letting fear get in the way of things and stopping me from taking, you know, certain steps. And I've just gotten to a point where I'm like, I'm not living my life like that anymore. And I'm saying all that to say, doesn't mean you just stop what you're doing and jump out there and just start a new business. Everyone's not going to be an entrepreneur and that's okay. But I do want to, you know, if nothing else, inspire people to just live their best life, like whatever it is, if it's starting a diet and just sticking with it, like, I don't know, whatever, whatever is going to make you happy. Like, especially once you get up in age, it's like, you got to start being a little bit selfish and figuring out, what a meaningful and purposeful life means for you because it goes by so fast. And I, and it sounds corny, but that's really kind of like what drove me to really make this step. And I would say that in my case, I probably transitioned away from corporate a little bit prematurely. You know, I didn't even have a website up. I had already gone to Colorado. I had met with a manufacturer. I had already gotten my like, you know, my logo, my brand identity together, but I, I didn't have, I wasn't selling anything yet. <laughs> I didn't even have a website. So I would say, you know, you have to look at your personal situation, um, but not, don't give up, keep pushing for it and just try your best to, to, to walk in your purpose. And I can tell you from my own experience that I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing and I haven't been happier. I may not be rich, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm happy like I'm genuinely happy and so many things are just like doors are just opening up out of nowhere like I can't even explain how all of these things are coming together just organically so um if you're if you're wanting to to do it figure it out and do it you have one life to live get it done so that's I, nice. I, I really, really have enjoyed uh, this conversation with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're just you're you're so open, you're so honest, and you're so positive. Oh, thank um, you. You know, so so which which is a delight. Um, you know, to to have. Where can people find out more about you? More about uh, Be Juby? Sure. So you guys can follow us on Instagram, Be Juby. That's our handle, B E J U B I E. You can purchase from us at bjuby.com. <laughs> um, and also I've done a Q&A feature with Gondrepreneur. So if you go to Gondrepreneur um, and just search for Bjuby, we'll come right up and you can more, learn more about us there too. 
It's Jen Jackson. She's the founder and CEO of BJUBI, a Baltimore, Maryland-based CBD company emphasizing restoration, general wellness, and social justice. Thank you so, so much for taking the time uh, to be on the show. And, you know, I really look forward uh, to seeing, you know, how your company grows. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can have another conversation in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great opportunity. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com on Spotify and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfalls. <laughs>